Hey, it's Living Cola. Welcome to Casualty of Love's Apologies. Each week, I'll be reading chapters from my book, C-O-L-A. This podcast is rated R for Relatable. What I found when writing was how freeing it allowed me to be. My prayer is that as you listen to this story, you will find your own peace and freedom. It may be a bumpy ride, but we'll get through this together. It starts right now. Chapter 6 Addicted Because lawlessness is increased, the love of most people will grow cold. Matthew twenty four twelve. I love watching Law & Order SVU. I think I want to be a lawyer, help people make a difference, and seek justice. Each SVU case was different and allow me to interject myself into the new realities, new possibilities. My obsession with a show about rape victims and justice helped me escape my own life. Perhaps watching other people find justice allowed me to reconcile my own guilt. I never sought justice, never knew how. At least the women in the show had Olivia to protect them and believe in them. I formed my own opinions about some of the effects of rape victims after watching SVU. I learned that some rape victims live on and are able to overcome their troubles. Some suffer from post-traumatic stress. Some become withdrawn and lose trust. Then there are other women who aren't capable of fully dealing with the rapes, blame themselves, and use sex to numb the pain. The rape took away their respect, their self-worth, their confidence. These sexual experiences gave them a false sense of control. Afraid another man will hurt them, it's easier for them to say yes than to say no and be violated again. It's all a mind game we play on ourselves. I was desperately searching for love. My fantasy of a normal life was shattered when Kwasi and I broke up. At least with him, I could pretend the rapes didn't change me. But they did. I was in denial about my ability to control my emotions and my body. I thought I still had control. I told myself, okay, so he didn't want me for more than sex. That's fine. It's okay. Plenty of fish in the sea. Someone else will want me. I'm not that damaged. I am in control. I choose who I have sex with and when I want to have sex. I never kept count of the men that I had sex with. Instead of an emotional eater, I was an emotional beater. Sex was the new way I coped with my anger and pain. I felt strong, happy. It was exhilarating, intoxicating. I smiled, I laughed, and I cried. A roller coaster of feelings starts really great, has an amazing climax, but finishes too fast. As quickly as it was over, I found a new ride, a new partner, always chasing the next high, slowly dying inside, but unable to adjust to anything else. I hated being sad, but even more than that, I hated being alone. I thought I was running the game, but the game was getting the best of me. I wasn't hurting anyone else but myself, but I was blinded by my pain. I was unable to take a step back and watch how my life was being destroyed. I don't even remember how everything got so bad. Damn. With each man that I talked to, that I met, I always held up hope that 
he would love me, take care of me, just like the fairy tale I saw on TV. I decided that I'm not the type of girl that travels for sex. If they wanted it, they had to come get it. Only hoes travel. I didn't like how hoes acted. If a man called a girl up, tells her to reach his house and she goes, she's passive, a hoe. Let's guys walk all over her. I didn't allow men to degrade me by the way they spoke. I didn't stand for name-calling, acting like they owned me or being told what to do. If a man were to say jump, I'd say, nah, I'm good. If a man wanted a pussy, he needed to say please. I hated being disrespected. I wouldn't sleep with a man who was in a relationship. Men had already stolen enough from me. They had no choice but to respect me. Anything less was unacceptable. This was my way to gain control of my life when it felt so out of control. I went on my first double date with Aaliyah, a guy she met at church and his friend Paul. We went to the movies, and after the movies, we drove to some park just to chill out for a bit. It was awkward. I got Paul's number and told him that I would call him. Give it about a week or so, Paul was at my house. It took him all about two minutes before he was done. What a damn waste of my good stuff. He dipped right after, and we haven't spoken since. Aaliyah, on the other hand, she kept seeing her guy. He seemed like a decent guy with a few times that we met. The notion of him disappeared as soon as he tried to convince me to hook up behind my girl's back. Now, that's my girl, and I love her my whole life, so y'all know I ain't do nothing, because I ain't no trifling G. She had previously mentioned how she felt when he had compared my thickness to her skinniness. I tried to indirectly tell her, but I didn't want her to get mad at me. Luckily, her relationship never lasted long. Paul probably told her my pussy was tight. Nigga, please. No lie. I've always had one man I talked to and a bunch of men on the side that wanted to have sex with me, but I was still empty. It was easy to meet guys on the internet. I was young and sex motivated. The more men I had sex with, the more I felt empty. I had sex outside. I had sex in new development houses, in the forest, in empty buildings, in cars, in showers, anywhere, really. Kwasi and I used to shower together, but I always showered in the dark because I never wanted him to see my body. I was embarrassed. I lived in the dark. Nightcrawler. It was best when I was hidden. This body of mine was not pretty in the light. The light exposed too much, so I always had sex with a t-shirt on. Never skin to skin. I used protection when it was convenient. If it wasn't convenient, I'd pop the morning after pill. I used to pop them things like M&M's. I lived a double life. I went to church every Sunday. I sang in the choir. Hell, I was the choir. I went to school, kept up with good marks. No one saw me self-destructing. I appeared to be the perfect Christian daughter, living the per perfect Christian life. I would lie and tell my parents I was going rollerblading and leave the house in pants, but underneath was the shortest skirt, and I was on my way to an all-ages party. I was reckless. I danced recklessly, bent over, whining to the ground, while my friends pulled my skirt down for me. The reggae beats exploded in my heart, allowing me to let loose and be free. I got to hang out with my friends, smile, laugh, just enjoy the music. It only lasted for the night. With my parents being so strict, I barely got to hang out with my friends outside of school. Lying seemed to be the only way I could enjoy the good moments. From what I had heard in church, I understood that God didn't approve of my lifestyle, but how else was I supposed to cope? Society seemed to think that Christian families have no problems, but I was drowning and no one could tell. 
One Wednesday, while my parents were at church, I invited a new man over. I anticipated they would be gone longer, but I was caught off guard when they came home early. I had hidden him in my closet while I spent time with my parents to avoid raising suspicion. I was nervous. Ooh, he gonna be mad. He was in the closet for three hours before my parents left for work. I had to keep a straight face. He was anxious. He wanted to come out. He had never had to hide in a closet before. I was just trying to balance the situation as best as I could. And once they left, I let him out of the closet and it was on. He came out so happy and full of adrenaline. Best sex of my life. Pain is love, right? I wasn't able to walk for a whole week. It was the first time I'd ever been eaten out and that feeling was great. He focused on me, aimed to please me. It was different. Better. We continued to talk, but things changed three weeks later. I was getting death threats for some chick who identified as his girlfriend. I had no clue he had a girl. She said she was coming after me. I was pissed. He didn't tell me he had a girl and that she got my number. He gave her my number? Pathetic ass. In my mind, we were dating, but that's exactly it. It was in my mind only, not his. I was frustrated, so I did what 15-year-olds do. MSN Revenge. I had his password. I changed his MSN name to say, I have AIDS and I love to have sex with little girls. <laughs> I thought it was funny at the time. It wasn't. I was pissed, though. I wanted to hurt him back. It turns out he had his pastor and his whole family on his MSN. It caused more problems than I thought. He never spoke to me again. My life became game. I tried to see how many men I could talk to at once. Suzette was my only friend that I talked to about sex and men, and that's all we talked about. No matter what I did, she always gave me my props. I always played the victim and got bare sympathy from them. Once I had them, I left them. Rotating through men like shoes, treating them like objects, I started to take on the persona of how men treated me, like a piece of ass. This girl and I spent hours on the phone talking to men, playing prank calls, everything and anything we could do to pass our time. We were bad for each other, but we were together. We caused bad trouble, but we had a lot of fun. I met this next one, Maxwell, on Black Planet like usual. I mean, he was cute. He talked a good talk. He was dangerous for me, though. Every time I met a new man, he always took place of the last man. I told them my sad story of being raped and tried to gain their sympathy. Joke is, I never wanted sympathy. I wanted more than anything to believe I was strong and I was in control. But when it came to men, I really just wanted one to love me, fix all the pain I was going through. Up until I met Maxwell, every other man I had talked to, I had sex with, and it was over. I just loved sex. It gave me a high I couldn't get otherwise. Maxwell was different. He was always there when I needed him. See all those words keep coming up? I was a needy girl. Maxwell was the first man to really have a mental impact on me. Shit changed. He started playing games in my head. I could have sworn that Maxwell loved me. I used to take the bus to see him all the time. I remember one time I just couldn't handle things at home. I don't remember the argument with my parents, but I remember that I ran away from home. I skipped school and I ran to his house. I stayed and cried all day. He consoled me. Let me know I was safe. Safety. Comfort. I shoulder to cry on. That's all I really wanted. The love that I neglected to get. 
The day my virginity was stolen, they stole my ability to accept love. Quite simply, quite simply, I was incapable of believing that I was capable of feeling love and being loved. No one wanted me. No one wanted to love me. I was fat. Maxwell was all I had. See, the thing about running away from home is that it should have been planned more carefully. Like an idiot, I called my parents to check in, let them know I was safe. I used a calling card, which allowed them to chase back the number. Who in their right mind runs away from home and then calls their parents to let them know they're okay? Within the hour, my dad came and picked me up from the closest mall. I was back at school the next day. Damn. Hey, I'm Paula. Thank you so much for listening. It's truly been a blessing. You can find copies of this book at livingcola.com. You can connect with me on Instagram and Facebook. Please join me next week as I continue to read chapters from Casualty of Love's Apologies.